Hi, I'm Sean. I've always been curious about the answers to life's big questions. I thought it would be cool to seek some of those answers through conversations with others on a similar path. My intention with these conversations is to inspire you to think bigger, to challenge what you believe to be possible. I'd like to invite you to think outside the lines. Hello and welcome to the Think Outside the Lines podcast, where we feature thought-provoking and inspiring conversations with guests who are doing their part to make the world a better place. Now, I start off each episode with a moment of gratitude. I do this because I truly believe it's the best way to live in the moment, and that you can't ask the universe for anything if you cannot appreciate what you already have. So take a moment to say thank you for some blessing in your life today. Now, my guest today is a former Wall Street managing director, community activist, speaker, coach, and the author of the book, The Three Rooms. These experiences have given him a unique and eclectic mix of understanding human nature. He noticed that our happiness and our unhappiness in life is always the result of our thoughts, whether observations of the present, memories from the past, or projected fears about the future. Now, combining this theory with with deep personal insights he attained along his 20-year spiritual journey, he stepped away from the corporate world to write The Three Rooms, in which he explains how observing which room your thoughts are in can change your life experience. Now, the book invites you to start the process of better monitoring your thoughts while providing you the keys to transform your life by doing so. I think there's a ton of insight in this conversation, and I'm really excited to share it with you today. It's time to think outside the lines with Kevin Murphy. Uh, define purpose and tell me what you believe yours to be. Well, I think you know purpose. Our purpose in life is to connect to that part of us inside that is you know connected with everybody else. You know, I truly believe we all have you know an inner being, and um, the more we align with that inner being, um, that's our primary purpose because everything else is an extension of that. And we can say, well, I want to be able to do this or I want to treat people nice or this is what I want to accomplish. Um, but if you don't connect with your own you know, inner being or soul first and, and be aligned with that purpose, because if you think where, that, where your inner being comes from, from the place of um, that divine consciousness or, or love, I mean, that is what permeates out to everything else. I agree. Now, you've written a fantastic book um, entitled The Three Rooms, and I definitely want to talk more extensively about that in just a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm actually really excited to talk to you today because one of my favorite books on this topic is a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Have you ever read that? (laughs) It's one of my favorite books. Yeah. It it actually, I feel like it also, um, it does a really outstanding job of explaining thoughts and how we observe it. And I just found, like, as I was reading your book, that a lot of the concepts resonated with me in a very similar way to that book. So, I'm really excited to dive into some of this stuff today. Um, I want to start with a, I find it to be a complex question, um, but I feel it's kind of the central thesis of your work. Why is it such a challenge for human beings to remain present? I think it's, the biggest challenge is that people um, allow everything they see and hear in the physical world to affect how they feel inside instead of starting with how they feel inside and allowing that to affect everything they see and hear and it really all comes down to your you know awareness of your thoughts because how we feel is is so predicated on on what we think and if we're constantly looking outside and in the outside world and it keeps you know having an influence on everything we think about and therefore how we feel and so most of the time we don't even realize it. And so the whole concept of the books was uh, the three rooms is to simplify it. You know, with the premise being that our experience of life is not based on what we do for a living or what we have or possessions. It's based on what we think. And our thoughts can only be in one of three places. It can be in the past or the past room. They can be in the future or the future room. Or they can be in the present or the present room. And whichever room our thoughts are in determines our experience of life in that moment. 
because of course our thoughts can go back and forth and based on what we're seeing and hearing. So it's imperative that we monitor our thoughts. And it's that active observation that separates our awareness from our thoughts. And that's that awareness is that consciousness, that divine consciousness that all the mystics have always talked about. And that's what we want to keep connecting to. I want to back up a little bit and talk about some of the, I want to get your take or your definition on a couple different words. So with respect to time, what is your interpretation of that word? Like in terms of how we experience and how we manage it? Time is just a measurement we use to differentiate between our perceptions of reality. And our perception is just, you know, our, you know, um, or let's say reality is just our perception manifested. And, you know, our perception is the lens through which we observe this movie of our life or this experience of life. And so time, you know, it is always now. We know, you know, in the linear concept of time, it is always now, but it's always, once again, based on our perception of what is happening. And with respect to the word thought, how do you, how do you define that? Um, a thought is a vibration that is stored as energy in a field of potential probabilities waiting to manifest. And how it manifests is based on that. And that, so that's a vibrational frequency. And as our thoughts resonate with everything we see and hear in the physical world, and based on the light and sound vibrations that we're interpreting, just as that happens, you know, our thoughts and emotions can resonate with, you know, uh, and we can retrieve information from this field of potential probabilities based on, you know, the vibrations that we're able to receive from this, uh, you know, from this field. I love it. And what about mindfulness? Mindfulness is, is, you know, one of the keys, um, I think, that, in, that you hear all the time. People are constantly talking about mindfulness and, you know, living in the present and, and being in the now. And it all relates to our conscious awareness of our thoughts. And that gets back to, you know, when, you know, you have to be aware of your thoughts and in order to be aware of your thoughts, you know, I think the, the best way is to, is to ask a simple question, just where am I? Yeah. Or in other words, where are my thoughts? Yeah. You know, or, in, or, you know, even which room are my thoughts in? Because once again, the simple act of answering that one question, you know, which room are my thoughts in, means you have to be aware of your thoughts. And that is so key. And that's what mindfulness is all about, the conscious awareness of your thoughts. Yeah, it's funny to, because, it's funny to me because these concepts really are so simple, but I feel like so many people struggle with, with grasping them, right? And so what I love about your book is it really, it's just so straightforward in terms of how to navigate these different areas of our, of our thoughts. And so I want to dive in a little more and talk about the book, um, The Three Rooms. Who was it written for, and, and what do you hope will be their biggest takeaway? Well, it's, it's not targeted for any, you know, one particular, you know, person. I, I think, you know, I originally was thinking of, of baby boomers, you know, kind of when I wrote it, because, um, you know, as people, you know, transition later in life and, you know, trying to find peace, um, uh, you know, within themselves. But more and more, you know, I think it's, you know, for the millennial generation and, and even younger, um, you know, Gen X, they, they're going through so many different things. It's much more of a technology based, you know, generation. And unfortunately, more and more, I mean, I read something recently that that, um, you know, younger children would prefer to text with each other, like 70% of them prefer to text than to have, you know, a, a dialogue, um, you know, and actually speak in person. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit sad and it's a little yeah. bit alarming. Um, but, you know, having the, you know, the ability to communicate and expression, you know, and express yourself, you know, is so important. And it's, you know, and so how do you really, 
you know, achieve mindfulness, go back to that, or that conscious awareness of your thoughts, if everything is constantly just, you know, um, you know, typing into a smartphone. And so, and even just, you know, expressions and, and innuendos and different things, it's, you know, um, you can't get them from texts and emails and, yeah. you know, that, that human interaction, the emotion with interacting with another human being, you know, is being compromised. And so I think, you know, I would love for that to, to resonate more with the younger generation. And the, the, the whole idea of the book is that it, it does simplify it. Because if we have so many thoughts, if we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, it's easy to say, well, you have to monitor your thoughts. Well, they're all over the place. Yeah. But if you can just put them in three different buckets or just three different rooms and, oh, yeah, this goes in the past room, because of how I'm feeling, I'm feeling negative emotions. I'm not in the present room. That's the simplest definition of knowing that you're not in the present room. If you feel good, you feel positive, you feel love, you feel joy and appreciation, that's when you know you're in the present. So let's talk about the three different rooms for a second. Um, define each, each one for me, and then let's talk a little bit about how we might transition to and from each one. I think you know, the, the past room is when you when you start thinking of things in the past that didn't make you feel good or you perceive people someone did something to you and you know you start to hold on to things of of anger or you know resentment um there could be um guilt about something you didn't do you know you know other people can make us feel guilty but you know we can be brutal on ourselves as well but it keeps going back to something that happened in the past or something that you didn't do in the past that makes you feel guilty and when you look in the future room, the future room is when you're worrying about things that have yet to happen and you're typically waiting, you know, we're expecting the worst or, you know, you're, you're um, something that you don't think that you can achieve and, and you think of all the things that can go wrong. And therefore, it's feelings of stress and anxiety and a, a feeling of lack you see you know a nice car and how oh, i'm never going to be able to get that car and it's it's all those worries of the future and meanwhile in the in the present room you know you're not going back and and looking at things and you know at your perception of what people have did, did to you you're expressing you know feelings of gratitude for you know any little things and the real key is you know, well you know, we can get into, you know, moving from room to room, but, you know, it's, you know, which room you're in based on how you feel. And if you're feeling negative emotions, such as anger and resentment, if you think about it, it's just, it's always linked. You can say, how, you know, how do I feel? And why am I feeling this? It's simply because you're thinking about something in the past. And if you're feeling stress, or you're feeling anxiety, you know, it's because you're thinking about something that's going to happen into the future and you're not expecting a positive outcome. So let's say that I'm in the past room, for example. What are, th- what are some things I can do to come back to the present room? Well, first of all, the most important thing is acknowledging that you're in the past room. And so acknowledging, you know, how do I feel? Or, you know, that question, you know, where am I? Okay, I know I'm looking in the past and, you know, I know I'm feeling bad. And so you want to get out of that. But let's just say it's because someone said something or did something to you and you're really mad at them. You know, but what if that is a coworker and you have to see that person every day? Or maybe it's the person you're looking across the table with every night or something that and, and you constantly see that person. People say, well, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be so angry if I didn't have to see that person all the time. And, you know, I, you know, I wish I didn't have to see them anymore and then I wouldn't think about them. But that's not always the case. I mean, and, you know, if you do have to see them, the most important thing is about forgiveness. When you truly forgive someone and you, you can let it go. Unfortunately, too many people in our society have levels or degrees of forgiveness. You know, say, well, you know what, I'm a, I love when they, I hear people say, I'm a forgiving guy, but you know, I'm not going to forgive that. <laughs> yeah. the line. That's my limit. You know, and you say, hey, there is no line. Since when is there a line about forgiveness? Because yeah. as long as you hold on to it, then it's, you're the one that's, that's you know, being negatively impacted. So we, we may think that if we don't see that person anymore, you know, that it'll, it'll be better. But that's not even the case. Sometimes, you know, we do it to ourselves. 
And there's a, you know, I just heard a, a friend of mine just tell me a really funny story after he read the book. He said, you know, Kevin, and he's the, his name is Vinny, and he's the nicest guy in the world. And he said, you know, I, I always try to live in the present realm. He said, but I wasn't always like that. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I used to have a business with my brother. And one day, this guy just really did something unethical to me. And I wrote a note on my desk, and it reminded me every day to get him back. And I was going to get him back. So I would walk in in the morning. I'd be all happy. Hey, Vinny. Everybody would say hi. And then I'd get into my desk and I'd see that note and I'd start to grow and go. And I'd think all day long, how can I get him back? And one day my brother, who was my partner, walked into the my office and he says, what is the matter with you? You're so mad in here. And then he looked at my desk. And he saw the, the note. And he goes, what is this? And, he, and I told him, that's my reminder to get whatever Carmine back. I'm going to get him because he screwed us over. And he said, are you kidding, Vinny? you got to let this go. And he ripped up the note. But when he left, he goes, I wrote, I wrote a new one. And I wrote that reminder. <laughs> the next day I came in and you know, it reminded me to get him back. He goes, but a couple of days later, the note was gone. And I knew what my brother did. I knew my brother took it. He goes, so I wrote a new note. And he said, that went for a week. Every day I came in, the note was gone. I wrote a new one. And finally, I got tired of writing the note, which was just a reminder to be mad and miserable. And finally, he said, I stopped writing that note. I completely forgot about him shortly after that and never thought about him again. So it was, it was not that he had to see that person every single day to remind him yeah. of what he did. And in that case, you really do need to have forgiveness. But sometimes we do it to ourselves. Totally. And that is just, why do I want to do that? You have to say, well, how does this make me feel? And why would I consciously want to keep going back to something that happened in the past that produced a negative emotion? And then I relive that negative emotion every time I think that thought. Let's let's talk about like the past and the future rooms, because I do know that most of us probably spend a lot of time there, if we're being honest, right? How can we use the time that we find ourselves in these rooms to maybe to maybe look at it from a positive perspective or take a positive experience away from it? Is there a way to do that? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really great question, Sean. And, and I think it's, um, it's not, to me, it's not going into the past room or the future room to try to make it a positive experience. I think it's staying in the present room and being positive in the present room, and then consciously being aware of going into the past. Because people constantly say, well, you know, you have to, you have to go into the past, and, and, and you have to learn from the past, and you have to plan for the future. So you always can't be in the present. And the way that I look at it is that you can always be in the present while you're, while you're recalling, you know, positive past experiences that make you feel good, or you're thinking about something to retrieve memories or learning from the past and saying, oh, I remember this happened and now how can I do that better? But you're, whenever you think about the past, you're still doing it now. And if you think about the future, you're still doing it now. And so, especially in the future, when, when, you, when you're stuck in the future room, it's when you constantly feel things of stress and you're expecting you know, worst case scenarios and you have those negative emotions and you get stuck in that loop. But if you're in the present and you're planning for the future, that's what visionaries do. They imagine a future. They see a future. They imagine it, what it could be like. They assume that it's, that it's happened. And then they, they look back from the place of that desire already being achieved and they live from this moment as if it has already happened instead of looking out thinking it hasn't happened and wondering if it is and that's how you can plan for the future you can look into the future but you can be doing it right here in the present i love that i actually didn't even know that was the answer i was looking for but i it was because i think that um a lot of personal development teaches you to act as if and, you know, to, to think positively about the future. Um, but I think this is a perfect example of how to execute that, right? It's, it's you're living in the present, but your subconscious, conscious focus, whatever you want to say, is actually like anticipating the good in the future, right? So you're not necessarily living in the future. You're still mindful in the present, but you're using, you're using the future to 
keep you present. I don't know. I, you, you definitely articulated it much better, but I, I yeah, like this sentiment. I think the other, the, one of the analogies I use in the book is, is the concept of the movie theater, which is our experience, our actual experience of life. Yeah. And so how our thoughts and emotions, you know, get projected out um, and then, you know, into our experience. And that's what we attract into our life. So, you know, in the present movie, you know, we're watching, you know, the, you know, we're watching our life unfold from that positive place. And that's, you know, once again, what we can attract in our life. And I like to think of, you know, the, the concept of thinking of your higher self. And when you have desires, your higher self has already written the script for the movie of your life. And when you look, then you imagine that script has already been written. And now you've seen that it's already happened. And we are all living in the movie of our life, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And now you can live this movie with knowing that the script has already been written. Yeah. You know, and, it's kind of, it, and it's kind of like watching a movie, like, you know, um, you know the, the Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. I remember that it was a real life story of, you know, of a, of a broker who's really struggled and struggled and struggled. And then he, at the end, he came out in the end and he was able to take care of his family and he became successful. Now, if you think about it, if you, if you watch that movie for the second time, and now you see him struggling, but you know at the end, everything's going to work out and he's going to be successful. You don't fast forward to get to try to get to the successful part. You watch it and you go through the trials and tribulations knowing the outcome. And the same can be done for the movie of our life. If we, if we imagine the same thing that the script is already done, we already have the things that we desire at, you know, at some point in the, in the movie we can now go through, and even if we're struggling now, we can say, okay, this is just the period of time when I'm struggling, but I know what's going to happen. And so I can still feel that and, and be positive knowing that goodness is going to happen. And that's, that's an image that we really want to keep. Yeah, I actually, it's funny because you, you make a lot of film references in the book, which I love, but I actually have kind of another layer to that. And I actually, I, cause I love film. It's been a huge part of my life and especially going to the movies, I find that there's something really aside from just loving the experience overall of, of going and experiencing a film, I find for me that it's, it's the one of the few places I can go in my day where I am entirely present throughout the experience in the moment. Right. So hmm. no phone, no distractions. You're literally just kind of focused on what's happening right now. And I actually think that's a really good practice for anybody that wants to practice being in the moment because you can literally go sit in a dark room. And I think the social, construct around not like understanding that you shouldn't be on your device or talking to people or whatever causes you to be more present. Um, so I'm kind of interested to get your take on that because as you were talking about film in the book, I just kept thinking like, this is actually the place I go to remain present. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, that is one of the big um, attractions and joys of, of going to the movies because um, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Turn off your cell phone, please. And you know you're going there with the, with the expectation of sitting down and being you know, consciously in that moment you know, for the next two hours, let's say. And, and you, you're allowing a story to unfold. You're going through the whole thing, and you really are staying present. Yeah. Um, and then the problem is we, then we walk out, and then we you know, get pulled in all different directions, and our emotions go all over, and we, kinda, you know, we, we, we lose the present moment. And how we can keep taking that experience in the movie theater that we had for those two hours of being present, when we leave, is once again viewing life as the movie of our life. Yeah. Look, we all they have the concept of the dash, you know, which is on the on the headstones. I mean, we all have a birth date and a, and a and a death date and you know, in between is our dash, and that dash is the movie of our life. And if you come from the perspective of, you know, co communicating with your own inner being and having that inner being or soul say, you know, you know, Sean, watch the movie, Sean. I'm right here with you. I'm looking through your eyes. Watch the movie, Sean. I'm right here with you. I'm looking through your eyes. Now you get this image like, whoa, there is, that's my soul talking to me. And it's right here with me. And it's, it's, looking through, it's looking through my eyes. And now all of a sudden, you just look around and this is the movie of your life. And you're in that movie. Now you start paying attention much, much more. 
And it, the same thing that happens when you go in that movie theater where you're watching a movie. Now you're watching the movie of your life, you know, with your higher self or with your soul. What can I do if I am, let's say someone listening right now is experiencing an illness or something really, really, you know, profoundly sad or tragic in their life where staying in the present moment might not even be in their best interest or they don't, they don't necessarily want to be present, right? Because it's too painful to deal with that. How do you navigate that? Um, well, once again, I, I, I don't think staying in the present moment, which is align, aligning with your higher self, is never a bad place to be. It's always the best place to be. But if in the present moment you are thinking about something in the physical world that is making you feel, your perception is it's making you feel negative emotions, then it's the thoughts and your perception of what's going on that is that is making you feel bad. And so it is, it's a matter when you, when, at the very beginning, when you said, what do you think is our main purpose in life? And I said, it has nothing to do with what's out, what you do in the physical world. It all starts with aligning with that higher self. So now let's say, well, that's nice for you to say, but you know, this, you know, someone has stage four cancer or someone has this and someone's going through that, you know, that's, it's easy to say, but when you look at what's happening with all the spontaneous remissions that are happening all over the world now. What is the one common link of all of them is that every one of them has believed, either surrendered or believed to a power greater than them. That is how they healed themselves. That is how you get a different perspective on things, no matter what someone has done, no matter what tragedy has happened. Because people say, you know, once again, I can forgive some things, but not others. And sometimes I have friends have, hold, have held 30-year grudges because of they think, you know, their, their other friend has done something to them. Yet you think of some of the, the, the biggest tragedies that have happened and people have been able to forgive someone you know, that's, that has done something, you know, horrendous to them. And when you hear those people say, yes, I have forgiven them, then you know anyone can. So if it comes to forgiveness, it can happen. And it happens by aligning with that soul or higher self in the present room and saying, let me see this a different way. Let me see this how you see it, because your soul is not Hold you know um, accounting, holding them accountable or thinking of them as guilty or staying mad at them, and again from an illness standpoint, which you mentioned, I really think it is you know imagining being healthy once again from the place of being healthy and connecting with that 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 power that's greater than us, and that has the the power to heal, and that's what epigenetics and the neuroplasticity and all these new, you know, kind of, you know, um, quantum sciences are, are really starting to prove that it's our environment and our thoughts and emotions that really can heal the cells of the body. Yeah, I've actually had a ton of conversations on this show, actually, with people who, you know, explore the mind-body connection, and it's really powerful. And I, I encourage people to dive much deeper into this, especially if you are facing an illness. And, and I'm not saying... I'm not trying to discount that experience, right? Because there could be someone listening right now that has tried all these things and nothing's working and they're truly suffering. But um, I do think that there's a lot of power in, in these concepts and they're, I don't know, it's not an accident that so many people are talking about them right now and that, you know, to your point, they're working for a lot of people. Um, I also really think that your emphasis on forgiveness is critical just because I, I'm going to butcher the quote, but there's there's a saying that goes something to the effect of, you know, when you don't forgive someone, you're not punishing them. The only person you're actually punishing is yourself. Um, and I think that there's so much truth to that. And there's a lot of power if you can accept that, right? Um, there's so much power in that. And, you know, look, I, I went to I went to Catholic school, you know, back in elementary school. And I have, you know, buddies from way back then, like I said, who still hold on to grudges. And I said, well, isn't that the whole crux of, the, of Christianity is about forgiveness? And, you know, right. and, you know, there's, you know, there's no levels of forgiveness. And, you know, when you forgive someone, you know, it's, I'd like to say, you, you know, you don't let them off the hook. You let yourself off the hook from feeling some negativity. 
And another big thing about forgiveness, which people kind of miss, is they they think that, you know, if they if they forgive, then it's kind of you know then everything goes back to normal, and they got to see the person all over again. And I like to say, just you know, if you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you have to do lunch every day. It just means you you forgive them, you wish them well, and then you can move on with your life. And, and that's really something we need to learn. Yeah, and I actually heard someone saying recently that it's not even about forgiving the person, it's about forgiving their soul, right? And I think maybe if you can look at it from that perspective, like that's that feels so big to me, right? Because it might not be about that particular person, but like our souls are here in this life to do this work. And if you can forgive their soul, like there, there could be such great value in that. Um, I, I think that's a, a tremendous um, concept. And, you know, and, and, it's, and it's similar to what I was saying earlier about when you look at from the perception of your soul, because your soul is not condemning them because your soul knows their soul. Your soul is made of the same stuff as their soul. So, you know, you know, there's a part of you inside that knows that that's just, you know, that that outer, you know, that outer shell. And, and you know, they may have done something to you because someone else did something to them. Yeah. And who did because someone did something to them. And at some point we have to break that cycle. Yeah. You know, we have to stop the action reaction, action reaction. And by 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 you forgiving, now all of a sudden that breaks that cycle from continuing. Because otherwise you don't forgive them and then you go turn around and do the same thing to someone else because heck it was done to me, so you know, I'm gonna do it to him. Yeah. And so stop that cycle. Agreed. Very much agreed. Um, I'm sure that working in this realm has taught you many things. What have you learned throughout this journey and what are some of the personal strategies that you use to navigate some of the complexities of life? Well, you know, I, I think it's constantly reminding myself where I am and, you know, that, that, you know, once again, separates that, you know, uh, you know, awareness of your thoughts. And I always try to ask myself, you know, how am I feeling? And just, you know, measuring that. And we all go back and forth. And I go back and forth from, you know, each realm. And and the biggest, you know, um, you know, lesson is that it's it's not that we're never supposed to get mad at someone or go, you know, or, or, um, you know, have, you know, a perception, you know, that creates negative emotions. I mean, you know, we're not, we can't just always be, you know, in this perfectly aligned place. But it's being aware of when you go into the wrong room or when you when you start to think of things that produce negative emotions. And that awareness allows you to come back into the present and, you know, much more quicker. And so monitoring my feelings, I found, is, you know, lets me know where my thoughts are. And if I'm feeling stress, I know I'm thinking about something in the future. And, and if I do, then I constantly start to think, how would I like it to go? Because there's so many things. We're just worried about how is this going to happen and how is that going to happen? And you have to acknowledge, even if you don't know how, how you're going to get something done yet, you can constantly stress about how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Or you can say, you know what? This is what I want to get done. I'm not sure how it's going to get done yet, but I know it will. And, um, and when you think, once again, when you think from that place, and we know those kind of people, unfortunately, those are the kind of people that irritate us the most. Oh, she's always so happy, and she's always so positive, and she's so <laughs> lucky. True. Good things always happen. I can't believe she's the luckiest person I know. Yeah. And then when you talk to that person, because I have a dear friend who's like that, and we start talking about this kind of, she goes, oh, I always expect the best. And I always expect positive things to happen. I go, Nairita, that's why positive things do happen to you. It's because you expect them to happen. Yeah. And when people expect things not to happen, then then they can't. You keep pushing that out. And, and so that's the real key and the things that I've learned and I try so much to, to um, focus on, which is one, that alignment, two, following you know, in, in my instincts and how I feel, and three, just keep picturing where I want to go and and as if I've already been there, like moving, looking out in the movie and imagining a script being written, saying, okay, this is great. I'm not there yet and I don't even know how it's going to happen, 
but I'm going to leave leave it open. And if you think about, it, there's a there's a little point in the book when I, when I talk about um, Dr. Zeus and the true story of Dr. Zeus walking down the street one day, and he said he bumped into um, a buddy of his, and he had just gotten his, his children first children's book rejected 27 times, and he bumps into his buddy. And who happened to just start as a publisher of a company? He says, "Oh, let me take a look at the book." He publishes the book, and Dr. Zeus goes on to, you know, to help, you know, just millions and millions of children. Now, think about that for a second. Like, first of all, if you get your book rejected 27 times, you know, you have a vision. Hey, this is going to happen. He didn't quit after two times or three times. He said, "You know what? I know this is going to happen. I don't know when, but I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep open." Now, walking down the street. It was going to happen. It was already in his mind, in his consciousness. He imagined that it was going to happen. And boom, it literally walks right into him. But how often, when we're walking down the street, do we see someone, and because we're, we're all frustrated, and oh, I got my book rejected again, and oh, damn, here comes Tom. I don't want to talk to him. And you duck into the store because you don't feel like talking to Tom. Or you might be on your but phone Tom, and not even see Tom. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And now Tom is the guy that was going to, you know, change your life, but you weren't there. You weren't open to allowing it to happen. You weren't, you know, living your life as if it did and looking for, you know, opportunities that are coming up and, you know, exploring all different things because, you know, imagining it and then sitting in your room and waiting for it to, you know, to happen, you know, is not the same. And I think that's where kind of that, the law of attraction, you know, gets a bad rap. I truly believe what you think and how you feel is what you project out. And that is what you attract into your life. But people misinterpreted that, okay, I'm just, this law of attraction, I'm going to think about being rich. And then tomorrow morning when I wake up, there's going to be a million dollars sitting at the foot of my bed. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way, but it's about putting it out there with positive expectations. And then that's what you attract in. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, that's a conversation that comes up a lot on the show. And I think there is definitely a perception with respect to the law of attraction that, you know, if I just, if I think good thoughts before bed, I'll wake up and there'll be a sports car in my driveway tomorrow. And it doesn't work that way, right? It's, it's just, I think it's about a state of being. And I think that's what people miss. It's you have to be that which you want to attract. And so if you want to attract positivity and good things, you have to exemplify that in your life, right? And I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark in that respect I, I couldn't agree more I mean I'd like, to, I'd like to say be first do second and so that exactly what you said you have to be it you know like and and you know live it and you know you can you know be the change you want to see in the world is something we hear a lot but you know if you if you be it first being being happy being successful you act you know as if you're feeling that then you do second which then you do all the things will bring about that what you're you know that you're, you're thinking about being but it's not be first do never it's be first do second you have to do and it's knowing what you want to be and so like my a trick i guess i've learned recently is that i'm big on like well, how do i want to feel and so if i feel that i can project it and i think that you know sometimes i get lost in my thoughts and you know one negative thought can lead to the next and i'm trying as of late when i catch myself in those moments to find the higher vibration and I, that's kind of another woo woo word I guess but um, the highest vibration I think that we can find is love and so for me it comes down to okay well how can I how can I exemplify love in my life and kindness and that sort of thing and 100% of the time things get better if you can reach that place and so I think that you know I can have my tips for navigating things and you can too and at the end of the day it's really about people finding what works best for them um, but we've got great tools like your book and this podcast that can help people help people navigate that. So it's fun. Uh, totally agree. And one last thing, just from a, you know, from a stress standpoint, from being in the future room, I mean, one thing that I constantly hear is, well, you know, it's, it's just, I just have trouble, you know, it's at night and when I'm sleeping, I just, you know, I'm usually pretty good during the day, but then before I go to bed, I'm thinking about all these things and then I, you know, and I can't really sleep. Well, if you go to bed worrying about things that, you know, you don't know how it's going to involve, um, then you wake up in the morning, you're, you get that same levels of stress all over again. And one simple thing that I do all the time, I say the same two words before I go to bed at night, 
over and over and over. And the same, and then that's the same two words I wake up with in the morning. And it's just thank you. And it's just thank you, thank you, thank you. And as you're falling asleep, you just keep saying thank you. And then you start to, you subconsciously just naturally start to think of some things that you're thankful for or grateful for. And it can be anything, just a pillow. But thank you, thank you, thank you. And then you find yourself as you keep doing that each day, each morning waking up, thank you. And you're not even sure what you're saying it for yet. But then you start to find <laughs> things to be thankful for because it's just that's what you went to bed thinking and that's what you wake up thinking and then thank you. And then you're like, oh, thank you. And there's there's no greater, you know, way to, you know, thought that, you know, for your body than a, than a feeling of gratitude. And so just those two words, it's just so simple. And, you know, right before you go to bed and then first thing in the morning, just make it your first two words. I love that so much, actually. I, it's, I feel like there's a lot of good gems in this conversation today. It's funny because I think that sometimes people have that moment where they sit down and like to think of their gratitude list. And for some people, it comes much easier than others. And for some people struggle with it, right? But just the idea of saying thank you and knowing that what you are thankful for will come through those words is like really powerful. So that's awesome. I want to talk for a moment about habits and addiction. Um, what role do they play in all this? Well, habits, I mean, we literally were just talking about a habit of going to bed at night and, and thinking about all these stressful thoughts and then waking up in the morning and thinking about stressful thoughts. And, um, you know, addiction is a, is a really big problem in the, in the, in the country today. And, and if you think about, you know, really where it starts, I mean, we're, you know, we're all, we all suffer from some form of addiction and we get addicted to our emotions, you know, and such as stress. And so, you know, the, the body literally, you know, there's, there's this loop is every thought produces a chemical. And so if you're thinking stressful thoughts, it releases, you know, cortisol, goes into the hormonal system, sends a message back to the brain. There's, there's emotion of stress and it causes the brain to think more thoughts that mirror that emotion. So you get more stressful thoughts. And as that keeps going and people are stressed out for days, weeks, months, or, or even years, you know, I would call that an addiction. You know, I actually call that, you know, being stuck in the future realm or if someone's constantly angry and the same loop is happening, the same physical loop, you know, it's called them they're stuck in the past realm. And so they're addicted to those negative emotions, unfortunately. But we can also be addicted to positive emotions. Like we we're just talking about that feeling of gratitude, you know. And so if you start thinking of those things and then, you know, your body starts to you know, produce the chemicals instead of, you know, the cortisols or adrenalines and other types of chemicals, it's releasing, you know, the, the dopamines and the oxytocins. So those are the good feeling, you know, chemicals in the body. And so that's how we're supposed to feel. But if we get addicted to this, this loop, let's say, of stress, what do people tend to do? They tend to start to take pills. And all of a sudden, instead of producing their own oxytocins to feel good, they start taking Oxycontin in order to feel good. But the Oxycontin is going to be just a temporary you know, solution to, to feeling the feeling all the negative emotions they're feeling. And when that runs out, now they go back to feeling all that stress or that negative emotions. So they need some more of that and they take more. And each time they take more and more, then they need more to get that same level of satisfaction. So, you know, it's really, you know, um, it starts with our emotions and how we feel. And if we can really focus, and I, and then I understand there's from the pain perspective and, you know, there's a, a big part of the opiate problem in the country today, you know, has to do with, you know, there is a, a generation that is, is suffering from, you know, from chronic pain. And that really does, you know, need to be, um, you know, uh, solved in, a, in, you know, in a more effective way. But as far as, let's say, a younger generation of people trying things like starting out with, you know, with Oxycontins and other things and leading to heroin, it's, you know, it's, it's all about trying to feel better. And we need to teach kids, even at a younger and younger age, that you can feel better just based on your thoughts can produce good feelings. And then you don't need this pill to make you feel good. You have these, you know, you can have a natural high from these, um, your own internal chemicals. Yeah, I think technology also plays a really important element in this conversation. I don't know, with respect to the work that you've done, how how, how often that comes up, but I feel like um, most of us are walking around addicted to our screens all day. Do you have any tips for helping people overcome this? Because I don't, I don't necessarily believe that it's as simple as like just put your phone down, right, and don't think about it. 
No, it's you're you're absolutely right, and it's um it's a it's a real big challenge. And like I said, if if you know seventy percent or more of of the you know we'll call it the younger generation you know would prefer to text, then then this is something that's um you know not going to be slowing down. And you're absolutely right. Just you know getting a text or getting a couple of likes, and you know it releases some dopamine in the body, and you're feeling good. And you're like so, then you absolutely can be you know, come addicted to, you know, to, to the technology. And so, you know, I think it's finding other things, you know, to do in, in, um, you know, outside of the technology where you have to put it down. I mean, my daughter's a dancer. She does, you know, 13 different dance classes and, and, you know, it just keeps her busy and busy. And guess what? She's not allowed to have the cell phone, you know, in dance class. And that's after, after school, there's no cell phone, you know, during school. And then afterwards, all those classes, there's no cell, just like in the movie theater, there's no cell phones, close your cell phone. So it's a matter of not, you can say, okay, just put it down, but someone can put it down. And then what are they going to do They're They're so addicted to that, that their feet are tapping and they're like, okay, now it's five minutes. It seems like two hours. Like, okay, I, I put it down long enough and they pick it up. But if they have other activities that they can do that don't require it and not only not require it, but that you, you can't use it, then you start to, you know, to break that cycle and break that, you know, a little bit of addiction. What do you hope will be the legacy of your work in this realm? I hope people um, simply begin to monitor their thoughts more and become aware of how they feel more. And if people can make it, you know, from a, just from a simple perspective of, of, of being aware of which room their thoughts are in or just being aware of what they're thinking and understanding that the thoughts, thoughts are connected to our emotions. And that is, you know, what we put out that is, you know, does create our life. And that's when, you know, the whole consciousness you know, that, that when the two become one, when thoughts and, and, and emotions are merged together, that's, that's what, um, that's determines our experience of life. And so, you know, positive thoughts and positive emotions are going to, you know, that's the one thing that you can, if you always want to keep attracting good things in your life, it's, you know, being aware of when you're not feeling good. And like I said, we're always going to feel some stress. We're always going to be angry at somebody, but if you're holding on to it for months or years, then you know, okay, I have to break this cycle. And and I will say we have a we, we have a friend who um, um, told another friend of mine. She you know she shared the story that he um, he read the book and he started thinking about the past room and he had been really estranged with his brother for a long time for ten years. He hadn't talked to him because he was so mad at him and really felt like he got screwed over. And um, he called him up and he set up a meeting with him and they sat down and they hashed things out. And it's not so much that it's now all lovey dovey and they can, you know, go back to, you know, um, you know, hanging out every single day. But um, he was able to let go of all of that anger and resentment that he held on to for so long. So the, the more we can let go of it, especially, you know, if it goes if it's you're holding on to something for 10 years you got to let go of it. You know, then it gets down to, you know, five years, one year from, you know, a week ago, let go of it. You know, during the day it's going to happen and you're going to feel those negative emotions. But, you know, my hope is that everybody spends much less time in the past and future room and much more time in the present room aligned with their, their, their own soul. I understand that you're involved uh, in a really special program helping kids avoid drug and alcohol abuse. And I want to give you a chance to talk about that for a second. Can you tell us a little more about this? Sure. Well, I I was a high school and college wrestler, and um, and I've been coaching uh, kids wrestling for thirty years. And and I know from my personal experience, um, when I was wrestling, I didn't do um, drugs because I was too busy wrestling during not only during the school years but on the summertime and watching everything. They went in my body. I didn't, I didn't suck a lot of weight, but I've always watched things. And so, um, I know it really benefited me. And since I've been coaching now, you know, younger kids, we've now, I've seen those young kids grow into really fine young men. 
and now they're having kids and they're coming back into our program and they're coaching the kids. And I see these and I said, this is, you know, there's something about, you know, wrestling that, you know, builds self-esteem and character and all. And now when we look at this whole, you know, um, opioid and heroin epidemic that's sweeping the country, um, you know, from a standpoint of it can be any sport, but we started to embrace it with wrestling to just say, you know, wrestling takes down drugs. You know, we started working with the, the Friends of Long Island Wrestling and the National Wrestling Hall of Fame um, to uh, promote this campaign. And it's just to promote awareness of the, dr the drug epidemic. And, and the money raised goes to um, supporting local wrestling programs, as well as, you know, raising um, awareness and education of the, the, the counseling and, um, you know, for the drug epidemic. And so, but the biggest thing is about the kids knowing that they're, wrestling to take down drugs and so i truly believe if you took a you know you take a group of let's say our young wrestlers now and then you take a, a separate you know static group of you know other kids let's say in the school and now you go out you know 10 15 years you know the amount of kids suffering from you know addiction in this group who at a young age are part to themselves are part of the solution I think there's much lower likelihood that they will, you know, the same, you know, numbers of, you know, of, of people who get addicted. So it's, it's empowering them to be, um, you know, part of the solution instead of getting caught up into the problem. And again, it's just wrestlingtakesdowndrugs.org. And it's a, you know, it's a wonderful, you know, way to start to do something to help combat this, um, this terrible epidemic. I think that what everything that you're doing out there in the world is incredibly important, and I'm and I'm really grateful that you are sharing it with me today and letting me help you spread your message. Um, please tell anyone that's listening how they might connect with you. I'm um, just www.thetherooms.com. All right, I want to thank Kevin for joining me today, and of course, as always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Now, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to help new listeners discover the show. And please share this episode with anyone you think might benefit from hearing it. Now, you can find the links for everything we talk about in the show notes, which can be found over at thinkoutsidethelines.com. And feel free to drop me a line with any questions or feedback on the show. You can send an email anytime to hello at thinkoutsidethelines.com. Until next time, go out there and pursue your passion today because the best way to predict the future is to create it. For more information, please visit thinkoutsidethelines.com. <laughs>